I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16, Ephesians chapter 5. Thank you for that beautiful music tonight. That was certainly edifying. John chapter 16, Ephesians chapter 5. Why don't you stand with me as we honor the word? If you're able, if you're not able to stand, don't feel bad. John 16, if you know your Gospels and the Testament, you'll know John uh, 13 through 17 makes up 25% of the Gospel of John, but it's only one evening in the life of Jesus. So there's a lot of material Jesus needed to say to his disciples and to us. And that's what we're going to, we're going to launch from there. Chapter 16 is the chapter that, it's not the only chapter in this section that talks about the Holy Spirit, but it's the most exhaustive section that talks about the Holy Spirit. Let's begin with verse 5. Jesus said to his disciples, but now I go away to him who sent me. None of you ask me where I'm going, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Let me give you Avery's translation of that verse 7. This is what Jesus said. He says, it's better to have the Holy Spirit inside you than to have Jesus standing right beside you. You hear what I said? That's exactly what Jesus said. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the Holy Spirit's not going to come. But if I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it unto you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. To this five-star church at Ephesus, Paul said, Do not be drunk with wine. And that's that's in the command mode. Don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. But, it's also a command, be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does that look like? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. I want to talk to you tonight about a spirit-filled life. Justin, are you still around here? Yeah, would you pray for me tonight? Yes. 
Yes, yes. Amen. Can a church miss the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you that one more time. I don't believe you caught it. Can the church miss the Holy Spirit? A.W. Tozer, the great mystic, said something like this. He said, if the Holy Spirit left the church today, 95% of what it's doing would go on and never stop. Nobody would ever know any different. But if the church in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit left, 95% of what it was doing would come to a screeching halt. That's his way of saying the church today is missing the work of the Holy Spirit. Jim Symbol of Brooklyn Tab Fane said it like this about the Holy Spirit today. He said the church is really messed up when it comes to the Holy Spirit. He said uh, half the church, the Holy Spirit, it's like a cemetery. And he said the other half, it's like an insane asylum. And he's right. Surely there's a balance somewhere in the middle. And I think that's the biblical balance. And that biblical balance is the call to you and I to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Several years ago, over 10 years ago, I had the privilege to speak at a large minister's conference at the Kwasi Sabantu Mission. That's a mouthful. Kwasi Sabantu means the place of help in South Africa. Thousands of Zulu laymen and preachers and preachers from around the world gather there. And the head of that mission, who just passed away this past Tuesday, the head of that mission was the son of German immigrants. Had They had revival in Germany and the Reformed tradition, and they sent missionaries out of that revival to South Africa. I love the way they send missionaries. They didn't just send one or two. They sent an entire unit of people. They sent a preacher, of course, and his wife. They sent a school teacher and her husband. They sent a blacksmith and his wife. They sent a farmer and his wife and a shopkeeper and his wife. And they literally established a beachhead for God in South Africa, built a community, and launched a missionary work. Erlo Stegan was the son of the farming family. Twelve years old, he was wonderfully converted. Sometime later, he felt the call of God to preach, and he attended a little Bible college somewhere in that area. Shortly after his graduation from Bible college, he didn't marry. He just felt like, God wants me to go out and evangelize all these uh, Swazi and, and, and Zulu people in this area. And so he did. He, he sort of took the, uh, the Billy Graham American approach. They, they got this massive tent, lots of chairs and some vehicles, and they'd go into an area where there were tribes. They would set up the tent, set up the chairs. He would preach a gospel message, give an invitation to seek Christ. Hundreds of people came forward and prayed a prayer, and then they'd move the tent to another area. They did this week after week after week for 12 long years. At the end of 12 years, Erlo Stegen looked to the only three converts that stuck. He said to them, we have had hundreds of people come to seek Christ, and the only thing we have to show for it in 12 years are three Zulu women. It's all that stuck. Everyone went back out into the world. And so he got those, little, those women, and he, they had a little, little old cattle shed they'd converted into a chapel. And he met with them one day and he said, uh, I just wanted to inform you. When I read the book of Acts and I look at my life, there's no comparison. Obviously, I have completely failed. And I just want you to know I'm quitting. I'm going to lay my Bible up. Wasn't going to quit being a Christian. But he said, obviously, I don't have what it takes. 
said, I'm laying my Bible down. I'm going to go back and farm. Surely I can be a farmer. One of the old women, a sister debut, said to him, Brother Erlo, before you quit, what do you say we meet in this little chapel every day for two weeks? We pray, we fast, and we search the scriptures. And let's see what it is we have missed. And they did. Day after day, they searched. They went through periods of confession and areas of sin in their life. He tells, you can go listen to the story yourself. He tells the story that one day while they were praying, one of the women there said, my God, my God, my tongue is on fire. I have said things I should not have said. And God began to talk to her about her tongue. Erlo tells about the day that God began to talk to him about his arrogance and his pride. Here he is reaching to the black Africans and yet he has prejudice and anger in in his own heart against them. God began to deal with him and humble him. And he said, finally, in the second week somewhere we were praying, I heard the black lady herself tell the story. He said, while we were praying, we heard the sound of wind. And she said, the Holy Spirit came and did something in our lives. I'm not talking about something mystical. And if you think Stegan and his group are mystical or Pentecostal or anything else, you're dead wrong. They're they're fairly, they're, they're kind of stiff and starchy. But he said, and this is what he said. He said, we had missed the Holy Spirit. We were doing what we did in our own energy. And we had missed the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, you can build great churches and host great crowds and do it in human energy. It's done all across America. You can miss the Holy Spirit. Why in the world would Jesus say to those disciples, it's better to have Him inside you than me beside you. You need to rejoice that I'm leaving because when I leave, He's he's going to come. Why would Paul tell those five-star Ephesian Christians to be filled with the Spirit? Well, it's quite simple. The New Testament gives us the role of the Holy Spirit I'll quickly share that because there's something else I really want to go, but you need to hear that. What's his role? What's he about? What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit, someone has said, he's the executor of the Godhead. He's the one that engages us. He's a matchmaking spirit. If you have ever been drawn to Christ, guess who drew you to Christ? Guess who convicted your heart and pulled you and drew you? It was the Holy Spirit. He's the matchmaker bringing us to the heavenly bridegroom. But he's also the one who regenerates us, changes us, gives us a new heart. He's the one that is sanctifying us. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to conform you and I to the image of Christ, which is nothing more than just scriptural holiness. He wants you and I to be holy. That's his primary task to make us holy. He's the executor of the Godhead. But he also is the one who exalts Christ. Jesus said in this passage, he's not going to talk about himself. He's going to talk about me. So every place the Holy Spirit is working, Jesus is magnified. He's exalted. Not you, not me, him. He's also the enlightening spirit. Someone has said he has a floodlight ministry. Anybody ever been to Washington, D.C. and, and uh, hung around the mall at night? And that Washington, you ever seen the Washington Monument at night with those lights on it? Anybody ever seen that? Anybody ever seen it? Oh, a few of you have. Did you, when, did you walk, were you there at night to see the light, you saw the lights? When you walked up to it, what did you see? The statue, dumbbell, the statue. You never noticed the million dollars worth of lights 
that lit that thing up, did you? The Holy Spirit is a floodlight ministry. He shines the light on Jesus, not on himself. And that's where churches kind of get off a little bit when they get too caught up in everything's on the Holy Spirit. Everything's on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit this, the Holy Spirit that. The Holy Spirit said to this to me. The Holy, the Holy Spirit is a floodlight. He shines it on Jesus. But he's also the enlightening spirit. He can teach you more in five seconds than I could in five months. The Holy Spirit can quicken the word to your mind and suddenly you see what you haven't seen in a long time. He's that enlightening spirit. He's an enabling spirit. I tell you, I, I, I don't have, I understand, I understand struggles, I understand trials, I understand burdens. I get it, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't understand a lot of the whining. Well, it's just so hard. The night I got saved, 17-year-old boy, got saved in that little country church, got up from the altar. Oh, everybody, they hadn't had a convert around there in quite a while. It was an amazing move of God. And I started down the aisle, and one of the old ladies in the church, white hair, she was, well, anyway, she was an old lady in the church. She met me in the middle aisle. She said, oh, son, it'll take every bone in your body to make it. What a great way to encourage a new convert. Well, it was obviously, whatever road she was traveling was pretty rough. But the road that I've traveled for almost a half a century has been enabled by the Holy Spirit. It's like an artesian well, Jesus said. Rivers of living water can flow up and out of you. Amen? He's the equipping spirit. When God puts something on your heart to do or calls you to do something, guess what? Most of the time you don't feel very capable or, or quite equipped. But guess what? He will equip you to do what you think you cannot do. That's the role. That's a quick synopsis. But what I'm interested in tonight is what is the results of his work in our life? What does a man or woman look like that's filled with the Holy Spirit? What does a church look like? Now, fortunately, we have the book of Acts. And we got a front row seat to look right over and we can just scoot up right to the front and look into the book of Acts and see the Holy Spirit working. Well, what does that look like today? Today, 2023, what is, what is the result of the Holy Spirit in your life? Hmm? Elisha, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit is working in you? And unfortunately... We have been exposed to some utter nonsense. A lot of people get their theology from, from uh, religious television. Oh, for crying out loud, you might as well get it off the back of a Cheerios box. Some of the nonsense that's peddled and pushed and promised. It's utter, it's utter nonsense. But what does the Bible say? That's what interests me. What does a, whole, what does a spirit-filled life look from, from a biblical lens? Well, we, that's what we get in Ephesians 5.18. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to say what that looks like. The first thing he says is speaking. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Then he says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, grateful in all things, and then submitting. So there's three chief characteristics, biblically, that indicates a man or a woman is filled with the Holy Spirit. The first of all is there will be communication. The second is exaltation. And the third is submission. 
Let's back up and look at that communication. Paul said immediately, be filled with the Spirit. The result? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That kind of that gives three hints of suggestions. The first thing is a Spirit-filled life is a life committed to the Word of God. Psalms, hymns, and it's committed to the Word. Amen? Everybody here has got a Bible. You probably got a half a dozen of them at home. And you read it. Some of you read it regularly. Some of you read it occasionally. Some of you listen to it. But what Paul is interested in here is the trickle-down effect. It's not just listening and reading the Word. It's letting it flow through you in an ethical way. It's application. Every place in the Pauline epistles, he gives doctrinal instruction followed up by ethical application. I was in Israel a few years ago and they were in a drought. We were on the Sea of Galilee in a boat. And if you can look to the north, there's Mount Hermon, the largest mountain in Israel. And on top of Mount Hermon, there's snow. And the Sea of Galilee looked like it was down two or three feet. And I said to the guide, I said, aren't you guys concerned about this drought? He said, oh, absolutely not. Well, that was a shocker. And I said, well, why not? He said, look up to Mount Hermon. And I did. Covered in snow. He said, as long as there's snow on Mount Hermon, we'll be fine. We'll have that plenty of water. The thick, heavy snows on Mount Hermon, as they melt, they trickle down. They flow through the water, the streams that feed the, uh, the Jordan River, or that feed the Sea of Galilee, which in turn feeds the Jordan River. And they were irrigating banana trees down by the Dead Sea with the water that came off the top of Mount Hermon. And the Word of God is the same way. When the Holy Spirit is working our lives, we are working in the Word. And, the, and working in the Word, it begins to flow out of that Word all through our lives. It touches my hands, my mouth, my eyes, everything. So, result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the Word is working in my life. But it, but it also means that the Word is going out of my heart. Not only across the pulpit, this is, you don't have a Holy Spirit, you don't have a Spirit-filled church if you don't have a Word-filled pulpit. That was a little weak. I don't care about your opinion, the preacher's opinion, or is, I don't care about what's the latest scope on the political horizon. What I'm interested in is this book. The Word. A spirit-filled church has a word-filled pulpit. But it also means one other thing. Communication. Not only communicating the word, not only letting the word communicate through us, not only from the pulpit, but it also means communicating outwardly what God is doing inwardly. Witnessing the word. Amen? That's getting real quiet in here. Some of you are looking at me like a cow looks at a new gate. What's going on here? Where's he going? Well, when the Holy Spirit's on board, guess what? He's anxious to talk about Jesus. And if he's in your heart, he's anxious to talk about Jesus. You say, I'm a bashful person. I don't go around collaring people, asking them do they love the Lord and all that other stuff. That's just not me. I, that's not exactly what I said. My wife's mother, my mother-in-law, Virginia Vernon, a little girl that grew up in a sharecropper home in Slapout, Alabama. That's the true name of the place. Poor as you could imagine. Her father could buy one pair of overalls a year. But he, re- he read and he, he got this paper. And in this paper, he said, for a dollar a year, you can get this, pa- this religious paper. And so he, he skipped his overalls for a year, patched them up, wore them two years. And he bought that paper. He said, maybe that'll help my family. And he, he read about a school in there. And he, and he said, man, if I could get one of my kids in that school, and he sent her off to that, 
that school in Cincinnati, God's Bible School. And she, she went there. She was transformed by the Word of God, converted, married a preacher, and they went out into the ministry. And she, she was a very, very much a little bit of an of a introvert, quiet. If she was here, she wouldn't be on the stage doing anything. She'd be so, sort of in the background. But I'll tell you what. Granny might have been in the background, but Granny wasn't quiet. We lived near her when I was in missions for a few years. I walked in one day. Now she's, she's already up. I, I think she's in her either late 70s or early 80s. Her eyes were bad. And uh, so I'd go over and take her, her mail. And she was just a poor preacher's wife. Brother Vernon had already passed away early. And she'd a little $300 a month Social Security check. She'd take about $50 a month on for postage. And she wrote people all over the country, people that were shut in kids that were in prison, people that were in trouble. She sent tracts everywhere you could imagine. I'd take a stack of letters to the, po- to the post office, to the mailbox for her. One day I went over there and I took a big stack of them and I looked down on the top and it was to the president of Jack Daniels Distillery. I said, Granny, what in the world are you writing him for? She said, somebody needs to. Funny, isn't it? What are you doing? I went over one day, walked in, little old table there in the kitchen. Her eyes, she had cornea transplants, couldn't hardly see. She had one of these big old glasses, I mean a mirror, I mean a thing on an arm that had a round light in it, you've seen them, and a big magnifying glass. And underneath that, another magnifying glass. And she had a, now you kids under 30 don't even know what a yellow, do anybody know, you know what a, a phone book is? I doubt it. You know what a phone book is? Oh, you're smart. Most people don't know. It's a big, thick book. Lots of numbers. And she was looking through the numbers in the phone book. I thought, uh-oh, Granny's going over the hill. She's reading phone books. And I said, Granny, what are you doing? She said, I'm looking for Turkish names. Well, I was convinced she was going over the hill. Anybody looking for Turkish names in a phone book? She turned and looked at me. She said, you obviously don't know that Turkey's the least evangelized nation in the world. And I'm a member of Friends of Turkey. They send me these phone books. They've trained me how to look for a Turkish name. I go through these phone books. I spot Turkish names. I put a highlighter and a marker. I send them back. They run them through databases. They get good addresses, send the addresses back to me, and I mail them all Turkish tracks. They say, well, that's kind of, that's weird. Okay, what do you do? Huh? You say, "Ah, well, that's just not me. You know what? The Holy Spirit has gifted every human being with the ability to do at least one thing. Some people are multi-talented, but there's not a single person here. The Holy Spirit hasn't given a gift to do something with. What's yours? And are you using it? I was in a church of about 4,000. I heard the pastor tell the story of a lady up in her 60s that got converted. You know, that's pretty rare. 85% of the conversions that take place take place before the age of 17. You you pass 17, you got a slim chance of ever being saved. She was in her 60s. She got saved. Somebody led her to Christ. And so he heard about it and heard she was in church for the first time. So somebody told her where he was and he went down and and he, he just welcomed her to church and said, Oh, it's so nice to have you in our church. Thank God you've become a Christian. And then he shifted into church speak. He said, uh, now, what, what's, what's, your, uh, what's your gift? Blew that little woman's mind away. She didn't know what in the world he's talking about. What do you mean, what's your gift? He said, oh, I'm so sorry. What, 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 are, what are you good at doing? 
she was still so nervous, she finally said, well, I'm real good at needlepoint. And he said, really? She said, well, well, yes. He said, next Sunday, will you please sit in that same seat in the same service? She said, I will. He was back the next Sunday. He came up, opened his Bible, pulled out a little white cross, made a beautiful needlepoint. He said, can you make that? She said, I certainly can. He said, how many can you make? She said, how many do you want? He said, I want all you can make. They had located that church in a demographic area of Indianapolis that 85% of the population was under 40. Lots of babies were born in that church. Lots of babies. And that pastor would take those to the hospital and give them to the mothers. About six months later, after she'd made hundreds of those little crosses, one Sunday morning, 23-year-old woman, sort of easing down the middle aisle looking, spotted her. She walked over to her and said, are you Mrs. So-and-so? She said, yes, I am. And that little woman opened up her Bible and said, you made that, didn't you? She said, yes, I did. And then she told her the story. She said, six weeks ago, my husband and I had a beautiful, perfect baby girl. Perfect. But in 36 hours, she was dead. And she said, that's all I've got left is this little cross. Thank you. Jesus said, just a cup of water would not go unrewarded. Just a cup of water. What can you do? This lady sitting right here, she doesn't know me. I don't know her from Adam's house cat, but her name's Anita, right? I'm checking up on you. I told Pastor Tony, I said, first person we met and the first time we ever came here, you were in the front of the church weeding. And you had the biggest smile I've ever seen of anybody on your face. She always smile like that? Yeah. I don't know what your gifts are. But God likes a clean, beautiful building. And he won't forget every weed you pull. You say, ah, that that witness and stuff's old-fashioned. Okay, I get it. What do you do? What do you do? What are you doing to communicate the word of God in your life? I hate to put it like this, but some of you, the only thing that ever falls through your lips and off the end of your tongue is some silly story of some gossip or some football score. Have you ever, ever let the Lord Jesus walk down your tongue and jump off the end into somebody's ear? Boy, it's quiet in here. People that are filled with the Holy Spirit There's some means of communication. Second word is exaltation. You say, what does that mean? Well, the word says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That describes, what what kind of person does that describe? When you you hear somebody singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, what do you think about? What do you think? Why? Why? Happy? What's a better biblical word? That's a good... What? Yes, there's the word, brother. Joy. Francis Chan said, Johnny Erickson Tata. Anybody know who she is? Johnny? Yeah, everybody knows Johnny. Paraplegic. She's up in her 70s now. Had cancer several years ago. Now she's had another bout. For the last 10 years or so, The pain that she's experienced in her body is so excruciating that no pain pill will reach it. She's suffered terrible pain. But you can't be around her, Chan said, for you can't be around her 10 minutes till she breaks out in a song or quotes a scripture or a psalm. He said, she's got to be the most spirit-filled woman I know because she's got to be one of the most joy-filled women I know. Holy Spirit people, guess what? Are joyous people. Joy. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. 
Some of you think it's spiritual to be puddle glum, but it's not. Joy. You know what the other is? Singing and making melody, that means worshiping. Do you know that God wants to be worshipped? Amen? Now look, I know it's Friday night. I know it's been a long day, but come on, come on, come on. Stay with me. Worship. What does worship look like? Oh, I've seen lots of worship. You know why I don't sit on the platform anymore? You cannot get me to Harley to sit on the platform. I know they always want preachers and guests, please come to the platform and sit with us. I don't do it anymore. I, I, I get weary of looking at people to kind of sit out there and Well, I'm just not a singer. Oh, okay. When the Bible talks about worship, the Holy Spirit who fills us is so anxious to worship and exalt Jesus that sometimes He'll just break out in song in my heart. I just find myself singing, praising Him. Ruth and I were in a camp meeting in Virginia. I was speaking in the morning. I do what's called Deeper Life. I was doing a Deeper Life series in the morning, and I only had to speak on one night, Wednesday night. The rest of the nights, I was in the congregation. We sat about where Ruth was sitting, right, tonight. And there was this lady who sat on the seat right in front of us, old lady. I should be more careful how I use that word old because I'm pushing some things. But she was, she was old. Big old walrus wrinkles, hands all gnarled, arthritis. And I noticed she'd come in every night. You know, you know what I'm talking that, that, that gait, stiff, old, arthritic. And she always had some visitors with her. She'd come in and sit down. I'd look, I'd looked at her and I thought, that dear woman, how'd she get here? And there she was. And then the song service, a worship leader get up to start singing. And I mean, when he started singing, she started singing. She opened her mouth so wide and sang so lustily that these things on your neck, these little leaders right here on your neck, they just stood right out. And she was singing with all of her heart. Next thing I know, She had those little arthritic hands up in the air, maybe one or both sometimes, just singing, singing, singing. And then all of a sudden, she stood up and began to praise God with that song, just singing and making melody in her heart to the Lord. (laughs) Ruth and I were sitting there. I said, honey, honey, look at that. Look at that. Look. I said, get your camera out. Take a video of that. I can't believe what I'm saying. She said, shh. I was blown away. You say, that's not me. I'm too dignified to sing loud. I'm too dignified to raise my hand. Let me ask you a very practical question. What do you think is going to change between now and the time you get in heaven? You think there's a cosmic car wash out there somewhere. It's going to just fix you all up, don't you? Well, you're badly mistaken. What you are now, that's what you're going to trot into the pearly gates. I don't know what God's going to do with some of us. I learned a long time ago in the Holy Spirit. I, was, I spent 22 years in an academic institution. All the great doctors getting up and speaking and all that beautiful stained glass and chapel windows. and Very, very easy to kind of sit in the president's chair and be a little on the... Yeah, you got it right. Say it louder. Yeah. Guess what, Justin? The Holy Spirit got hot on my trail about that. He said, you're not here to look presidential to be stiff and starchy. You're here to worship. 
Well, if you think I started running around with flower pots on my head and swinging from the chandeliers, you're badly mistaken. None of that. That's, I'm not talking about being crazy. That's an insane asylum. But I am talking about worshiping. In decency and in order. And so guess what? Ask Justin. When you sing, I sing. I open my mouth and sing. As loud as I can. Or as much as I can. All that I can. And I will raise my hand occasionally. It's, well, I don't want anybody to see me. Oh, get over yourself. You're not raising it for somebody to see you, and you're not raising it for your own glory. You're raising it because he's worthy to be praised. That's why you raise your hand. Say, not me. Some of you act like you've been graduated from getting blessed or graduated from worship. You haven't moved up a bit. You might even be in trouble. Amen, Brother Avery. That's real good preaching, Brother Avery. Thank you for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. No, I do not believe God's asking you to get outside your personality and do strange and weird things that make you and everybody else uncomfortable. But I do believe we are here to worship. In decency and in order. And that's certainly, at at the least we can do, is just sing. Make a joyful, say, I don't care. We'll make a joyful noise to the Lord. He doesn't care if you're on tune or not. Your neighbor might, but he doesn't. Sing. Pay attention. Say amen once in a while. Say amen. Say, so, yeah, isn't that a beautiful voice to say amen with? If I had a voice like that, I'd say it all the time. <laughs> say, praise the Lord once in a while. Amen. You say, well, I don't feel like it, so that'd be hypocritical. That is stupid. Nothing hypocritical about saying praise the Lord and amen. You said, well, I'm not perfect yet. That's okay. Get started. I'm not just barking for noise for noise's sake. That's a bunch of nonsense too. But I want to tell you something. Just sitting around looking like a hoot owl on a tombstone doesn't get much done either. It doesn't make anybody hungry for what you've got. <laughs> All right, I'll move on. No, I won't. No, I won't. I take that back. Because I almost forgot. Giving thanks in all things. Do you know what the root of worship is? Go back and read Romans chapter 1. How many, how many identify, know, know about Romans chapter 1? How many know about how, that's, that's, a, that's an awful dark, dark, dark book, chapter. Ooh, Romans 1. Go back to verse 16 and 17 and see what the root cause of all that reprobation is. You know what it is? How many knows what it is? Romans 1, 16, 17. And when they knew God, they neither worshipped Him as God, and neither were they thankful. You know it. You know what the root cause is for a lack of worship? Lack of gratitude. I was in Maryville, Tennessee when I was just a preacher boy. Wesleyan Church in Maryville, Tennessee had about 100 people there on a revival night, beautiful, dressed up, good-looking folks. And we were singing. I'll never forget the song, Justin. We were singing. We sang it, was it tonight or last night? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. We were singing that. I was, that's back when I sat on the platform. I was singing up a storm. Little bitty platform, little church, little church, but a lot of people. When all of a sudden in the middle of that song, I heard a terrible noise at the back. It was like metal clanging on glass. And I looked down the aisle and I saw a wheelchair being pushed through the back door. And right behind that wheelchair, there was a big man carrying a little man. And he got him through the door, set him down in that wheelchair, rolled him all the way to the very front seat. And helped him get out and put him right here. Well, I was new, and I didn't know anybody, and I was taking it all in. 
I was, I was, I was staring. And I was watching that. This little guy, his feet were twisted, his hands were twisted. He was a little gnarled up guy, unshaven, hair unkempt, clothes disheveled, had a wash rag pinned to, the, to, the, to his lapel over here because his head tilted and he drooled constantly. Got him all the way down to the front, got him up on the seat, and, and he, he got all, he, he, he kind of got fixed. And the moment he got just like he wanted to be, he looked straight up, looked dead at me. And I was staring right at him. I was so embarrassed. He just grinned a big old toothy grin at me. And I got busy singing. And he did too. And he just boomed. My whole it built on nothing else. And G up by hand. We finished that verse. And the pastor was an old Mississippi boy. And the pastor got up and said, anybody here tonight got a testimony? And out of that whole congregation, not a peep, not a single peep. And I heard a noise on the front seat and I looked down. And Sonny, he couldn't stand, but he thought if he could get to the edge of the seat, that's like standing. So he scooted up on the edge of the seat best he could. He raised one hand and said, what a wick. I want to thank God. He's been so good to me. <laughs> that poor guy looked like he had been in a cosmic car wreck. And yet he had the spirit of gratitude flowing out of him. He went all over Maryville, Tennessee with a little red wagon, had a board put on the front. He had one leg that could push it. The other leg was messed up. He'd take the tongue and drive it, and the back of it was filled with Spotlight magazine. Sold them all over Maryville, Tennessee. He was the number one salesman three or four years in a row. Made enough money, he bought him a house and a garden tractor to pull his little wagon with. Oh, Sonny. Gratitude. The Holy Spirit's the spirit of joy, the spirit of gratitude. The last thing, the Holy Spirit's the spirit of submission. Submitting to one another. Ultimately, submitting to the authority of God in our lives. When the Holy Spirit's on board, and that word in the word be filled with the Spirit does not mean that you get more of the Holy Spirit. After your conversion. When you're converted, you get all the Holy Spirit there is to get. He's a person. He doesn't come in pieces. You don't get a half a glass of the Spirit. You get a whole glass later. No. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. That's what he's talking about. And it's in this area of surrender and submission to God. And the word feel there means influence. Total influence. It's used again in another place in the Testament when they were the people that stoned Stephen, they were filled with anger and rage. They were controlled by it. And Paul is saying you need to be under the control, the guidance, the influence of the Holy Spirit. And if you are, you're submitting to Him in every area of your life. There's a group of preachers who wanted D.L. Moody to come hold her or a meeting for them. And they wanted to have a big rally in their city. And it was, it was a pastoral, ministerial group. And one pastor said, we need to get D.L. Moody into our city to preach the gospel. Another little pastor, he was just a narrow-minded, mean-spirited little fellow. He finally got tired of hearing about D.L. Moody. And he stood up and said, D.L. Moody, D.L. Moody. To hear you talk, you'd think D.L. Moody's got a monopoly on God. Preacher stood back up. He said, sir, I'm not interested in D.L. Moody because I think D.L. Moody's got a monopoly on God. I'm interested in D.L. Moody because I know God's got a monopoly on him. What about you? People know that about you? Does your family know that about you? 
Does your family know that the Holy Spirit's got a monopoly on you? Ladies and gentlemen, it's one thing to talk the talk. It's another thing to walk the walk. And if the Holy Spirit's working in our church and in our lives, there is communication. There is exaltation. And there is submission to the authority of the Word of God in our lives. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's stand. Father, we don't want anything more or anything less than your perfect will in our lives. We're not interested in what they're doing down the street or over the way. We're not interested in what this opinion is or that opinion is. What we're very interested in is your opinion. We're very interested in your word. What do you say? What do you tell us? What have you said about the spirit that you have sent, promised to every believer? How have you admonished us to live a life of spirit fullness? Lord, Church of God of Licking County, occupies a beautiful space, a magnificent building with a lot of wonderful people. But if we aren't operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're operating in the energy of the flesh. And the only one that can answer that question is every individual man and woman that sits in these pews. So Holy Spirit, you just do your work. You enlighten, you engage, you convict, you draw, you do whatever you need to do in the hearts and lives of these men and women so that they are truly filled with your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless.